Well, this is uh, obviously the first Sunday after Easter. Okay, first Sunday after Easter, Jesus is alive. He's still alive. We always want to remember that. Um, but coming after, coming off an Easter Sunday, um, I'm often left with a little bit of a feeling of, okay, kind of now what? Now, there's, it's not a letdown, but it's like, okay, we're back to normal after a big week last week. And I think it begs the question for those of us who are thinking about the, the resurrection and have been for the last um, couple of weeks maybe, and especially those of you who um, have, have given your life to Jesus recently, this, okay, what's next? What, what is the Christian life look like. Um, last week, we talked about um, this idea that um, those who belong to God have the Spirit of God. Those who are Christians have the Holy Spirit. Okay? And to put it in the negative, those who don't have the Holy Spirit aren't Christians. Or it's, it's a pretty simple and straightforward truth. And so the, the imperative coming out of last week is to put your faith and trust in Jesus so the Holy Spirit might come and dwell inside of you take residence within you to be able to, to live this life that we all hope to live as Christians that, that exhibit freedom and joy and we glorify God as we pursue those things. Last week we looked at the text of Romans 8, 9 through 11. And the great thing about being in this book of, of Romans and going verse by verse is that Paul obviously talked about the resurrection last week and he knows what people are thinking coming off of that particular section and so uh, this week, um, or in this passage we're looking at this week, he's really going to help us answer that what's next question. And I think it could be argued today that the passage we're going to look at, and there are a few other passages in the scriptures like this, but just these five or six verses, if I was to give someone these five or six verses, it would give them, I think, an almost complete uh, picture of what it means to live the Christian life, and even how to do it to some degree. And one of the things we say here a lot is we, we want to, to, our goal is to find freedom and joy in Jesus. Because if we find freedom and joy in Jesus, that means God is going to get glory. And so we like focusing on freedom and joy because here's the deal. Every human being, I don't care if you're in here and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you, maybe you have no belief in God, I guarantee you, you are pursuing freedom and joy. Like that's, a, that's in the hardwired into humanity. You are pursuing things in your life that you think will lead you to find freedom and joy and peace and some of those other things, okay? So I think this, is, this, this topic, this idea is important for everyone in the room, regardless if you are, consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not. Let's look at Romans 8, 12 through 17. There's Bibles scattered throughout the room. Um, if you want to follow along in a Bible, go ahead. Like The verses are up here on the two screens. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home with you. That's our gift to you. We feel like everyone should have a Bible at home. Um, and so here's the text, Romans 8, 12 through 17. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let me pray over the text real quick. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that as we dig into it this morning, that it would change us, 
that we would allow it to change us, that we would um, be open in our minds and open in our hearts and our desires and open with how we live our life to what your word says this morning. We thank you for it and we thank you for your son. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. So in light of the resurrection of what Paul has, has, has um, taught the, the pro- previous passage here, he's going to show us, I think, three things in, this, in this, uh, these six verses we just read, okay? And I think it lays out pretty smoothly here. The first thing he's going to show us is, what do we do now? Okay, so the resurrection's happened. We're living this Christian life. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, what now? What do we do? What's, what's kind of our day-to-day purpose? Second, what is the Spirit's role in this process of living? The Holy Spirit. Like, what's, what's his role? Third, what does our role in the process look like? What is our role? What do we bring to the table in this process of living the Christian life? Okay, so let's look at verse 12. We'll walk verse by verse through this. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus, you don't owe the flesh anything. The flesh has no power over you. You've died to the flesh and died to the power that it has over you. And Paul, a few weeks ago in this, in, in this chapter, talked about you can either live by the flesh or you can live by the spirit. Those are the only two categories that the kind of humans can live by, Paul says. And you can't have it both ways. You're either living according to the flesh or you're living according to the spirit. And when he talks about flesh, it just means our natural self, the, part of, the parts of us that aren't affected by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some good things that can come out of our flesh. Um, however, it's still the part of us that operates independent from God. It says, I don't need God. I've got this taken care of. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. Um, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need the Spirit inside of me guiding me. I don't love Jesus. That's our flesh. That's the part of us that remains with every human being in here. If you're breathing and you're alive, you have that part of you, that flesh that still remains, even for those of us who are Christians. Now let's see what he says in the next verse here. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Paul, once again, setting up this contrast, okay? He's saying you, you can live by the flesh or you can live by the Spirit. He said a life lived apart from the controlling power, controlling power of the Holy Spirit leads to death. What does he mean by death? This means spiritual death. This means spiritual death while we remain alive on earth, and it also means spiritual death for all eternity in a separation from God the Father. Okay, this is important. This is kind of a heavy a uh, heavy way to start this section, but it's important, okay? We should all uh, be, be grounded in this truth. And this idea of putting to deeds, uh, putting to death the deeds of the body, the old Puritans refer to this process, it's called as mortification, or mortification of sin. John Owen, one of the most famous <coughs> Puritans, wrote a, a huge book just on Romans 8, 13, called The Mortification of Sin. Okay, big, thick, dense book. But he took this verse and just looked at what does this look like in the life of a believer, follower of Jesus, to put sin to death. Because the more we put sin to death, the more we're going to experience joy and freedom and peace and a, and a, and a, and a healthy relationship with God the Father. It's actually, in, if you've been around Providence Road a little while, you've heard of this idea of fight clubs. This is actually the verse fight clubs comes from. Because there's a fight going on here. 
There's, there's, you're fighting to put sin to death. Um, Romans 8.13 is kind of the, the verse that we highlight when we're talking about fight clubs. Um, they're just groups of, for those of you who don't earn around Providence so much, they're groups of anywhere from three to five same gender groups where we get together and just get, you know, be, be very vulnerable and open, and, and we talk about deep stuff with one another. We fight to have freedom and joy in Jesus, which means we also will talk about our sin and how we can put to death the deeds of the body. So G, this, is, this is actually not sin management. It's not having kind of our pet little sins over here that we're going to kind of put up with. It's taking an honest look at ourselves and looking at all the, the corners and crevices of our life and saying, how can I put this, this sin to death? It's not sin management, it's sin eradication. We're looking for places where sin has control over us, and we want to put it to death. Jesus um, echoes this in Luke 9, very similar idea. Jesus says in 9, 23 and 24, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, or deny his flesh, another way to say that, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life would lose it, kind of holding on to the flesh, holding on to your life, you're, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, gives up his flesh for my sake, will find it. So Jesus is even kind of, obviously, Paul following Jesus' line of thinking here and, t- and breaking this down a little bit further in Romans 8. So this is important. This is important. We're just talking about spiritual death, things of eternity. Uh, so this is one of the keys, I think, to the Christian life, to really understand what's going on here. And Paul's going to begin to break it down here. So the question that brings up, though, this passage is, so it says, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. So am I putting to death the deeds of the body, or is the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the body? Which is it? Because it seems like it's telling me to do it, but it's by the Spirit, Paul says. And the answer is both. Both things are required. Here's Paul talking about this in, in different letters he wrote. This is 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says this, On the contrary, <clears throat> I worked harder than any of them. I fought. I, I, I made effort. I was intense about this. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So there was something Paul's referring to that was inside of himself that was causing him to work hard in this area. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, another, <clears throat> Paul, talk, Paul talking here, another passage, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This idea of working it out. But for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see this idea again. He's calling us to work, work it out, but God's inside of us doing it. God's doing the work. God's providing the power for us to be able to do it. And notice he never says work or, or those kinds of things apart from the Spirit. When he says those things, it's always connected to the Spirit of God inside of us. Because it's not connected to the Spirit, we're back over here in the law. We'll talk about that here in a second. So the question is, how, how can it be both? How can it be both? And for the rest of our time, we're going to look at what's the Spirit's role, really, in the Christian life? And what is our role in the Christian life? And a few weeks ago, we, Paul in chapters even, Paul talks a lot about it in chapter 6 and 7 of Romans, talks about the law. He says the law is good. The God's commands are good, but they become not so good when they're mixed with our sin and our flesh. They're good when they remain outside of us, but when we try to obey the law with our flesh and our sin, they lead to slavery, can lead to depression, lead to frustration. The law 
by itself does not produce godliness, and it does not produce holiness, it does not prevent, uh, 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 present peace. It doesn't give us those things. So he's saying we need something from the inside to change us, okay? We need something to come from the outside, come inside of us and change us, like the Holy Spirit. We need to be changed from the inside out so our hearts change, our desires change, and then we want to obey the law because of the Holy Spirit bringing new life within us. Let's continue on in verse 14 here in Romans, the passage we're looking at today. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And you can replace fear with anxiety, seeking approval of others. If you're wrapped up in an addiction, whatever it is, you can replace fear with that. Okay, but he uses fear here. Uh, back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's the exclamations there. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and, with, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul is saying here, the, the evidence that you have that you are a Christian is the leading of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you will be led by the Spirit. And then he goes even further to actually call the Holy Spirit here the Spirit of adoption. It's almost like he renames the Holy Spirit here. And nowhere else up to this point in this letter, this awesome letter of Romans, has he mentioned us being sons of God, or has he mentioned this idea of adoption? Okay, so this is really important. He's introducing major, major themes here. So let's take adoption here. Okay, adoption, we've talked about it a lot here in the past, but adoption is, the, is the, really the relational piece of the gospel. It's that relational glue that holds all these things like justification and sanctification and, and all of these things to get, really is held together by uh, this idea of adoption. It's arguably the part of the gospel that we can experience most. because It has this relationship that we're at least familiar with here on earth. Um, father to, to son to daughter. Okay? We can understand this better because of this idea of adoption. Paul is saying here that when the Spirit of God comes inside of us, it, it produces this cry in us. It produces this longing, and it's described as Abba, Father. And Abba here is an Aramaic word. It's just an Aramaic word for babble. It's just innocent toddler babble. Okay, but that crying before it is actually the same word that's used uh, when, when Jesus is crying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. So this isn't any kind of cute toddler babble. This is a, a, a crying, a yelling for the father. We know infants and toddlers can't make out really words yet, so they cry. They cry because they know that's what's going to get their parents' attention. And so that's what we need to think about that's going on inside of us, that this Holy Spirit gives us this cry um, for the father. And if you think of toddlers and infants, they, they, they just, it's almost this instinct to just cry to get attention. They want something, they're going to cry. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to process it. It just comes out. And it's the same thing, I think, with us. Okay? It's not, this crying that the Spirit's producing in us is not a, something we have to, to overly think about. It's just this instinct that he's always working inside of us. Okay? And then when it says that the Holy Spirit testifies uh, with our spirit in verse 16 there, uh, really what it's saying is we have this spirit inside of us. All human beings have this spirit. The scriptures also use soul interchanged with that. And it's really the core 
the depths of who we are as, as, as human beings. And so the Holy Spirit testifies or tells that part of us, hey, you're a child of God. Hey, you're forgiven. Hey, you're loved. Hey, do you know you have a dad that loves you unconditionally? Yeah, your 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 earthly parental parents may be messed up and broken, but you have a father now who loves you. Not because of who you are, because of what Jesus did. And that's good news. It brings freedom, that brings joy. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling our spirit. This deep, deep down, you're his. You belong to him. You're his child. So this is a very, very important truth to know. And oftentimes I think we just maybe go throughout our lives and miss the fact that that's what's going on inside of us. If you are a follower of Christian, the Holy Spirit is telling the deepest parts of you, your child. And he wants to remind you of that consistently. So verses 12 and 13, he's saying here, hey, um, you know, work out your salvation. Put to death the deeds of the body so you'll have life and peace. Verses 12 and 13. Verses 14 through 17 really provide the grounds, provide the environment, provide the relationship for us to do what 12 and 13 calls us to do. Okay? The Spirit comes into our heart and changes our desires. He changes our wants. He, he, he makes us feel that relationship with God the Father. And then we're much, in a much better place to put to death the deeds of the body because we're in this relationship, this, this unconditional, grace-filled relationship with the Creator God. And this is really good news for those of us who are trying to live the Christian life. So this is the Spirit's role, right? Pretty simple, right? This is what the Spirit's doing inside of us. So we should just... That, that, right, we get it. We, are, we all feel that consistently throughout the day, and we all just have this really clear relationship between us and God the Father. No? Y'all don't, like, get that all the time? Well, neither do I, okay? This is, this is hard. This is frustrating. That's the truth. But the question is, what's my role in this? Like, how do I feel that? I know every single day I need to force myself to remember that I have a Father who loves me. I don't have to impress him. I don't have to work to earn his love. I don't have to watch my back thinking that like he's back there saying, yep, that was, that was pretty good. Had a pretty good day, Jeremy. Or no, you just didn't quite measure up today as my son. No, that's garbage. And I have to tell, that's what the voices in my head say in my flesh. That's what I want to believe. That's what I've, so I need to remind myself and be reminded daily of my relationship with God the Father. And that's what the Spirit does. Okay, and this is, this, is, this is hard, though. I think this is hard. This is a fight. This is something we have to do daily. In the, in the area of, of earthly adoption, if you guys, some of you guys have spent time adopting or in that world, but um, usually when a child is adopted after they have memories, you know, four, five, six years old, um, oftentimes it's really hard for them especially to see their new adoptive parents as actually mother and father. It even sometimes takes years for a child to say daddy or mommy or see them as mom and dad. And a lot of that can come through abuse or neglect or whatever they went through beforehand. Um, but this is fairly common. Even though the moment that the, the, the mom and dad agreed to adopt them, they are legally ch children of that new 
couple of those parents. So legally, they're kids. Nothing can change that. It's a done deal. But experientially, day by day, it's a long process of trust. The, the child has to get to know the parents. The child has to, be, has to learn to open themselves up to potential pain and hurt that they may have experienced in the past. Okay? Does that sound familiar? Like when we, all, those of us who are followers of Jesus have faith and trust in him, we are saved. We are his children. That is, you can bank on that. Now, do we feel that right off when we experience that relationship? No. It takes years and takes time. This is the process of growing up into Christ, and that won't end this side of heaven. This will be a continual process through the rest of our lives. But that's one of the goals is to begin to understand, trust the Father, know the Father, know his goodness, know his mercy, know his grace, know what he saved us from. And the Spirit is inside of us to help us believe that, to help us have faith that all of those things are true. Okay, so some of that is, it's, this is the part that we have to, we have to kind of start to, to work. We have to start to think. We have to start to, to, to ask, what is my role in this? Okay, verse 17, um, really quick, this idea of inheritance comes up. This is kind of a bridge verse to next week um, that we're going to get into. But when he uses sons in this passage, it really has to do with this idea of inheritance. Back in, in, in this cultural time setting here, the only children that had access to the father's and, and, and mother's possessions were the, were the boys, were the sons, okay? The, the firstborn was first, and then it just kind of got parsed out from all the, the remaining sons. And so there's a legit, like, legal thing that happened in this culture where only the sons got that. So what Paul's doing, he's taking something in that culture, saying this is legally the way it is, and he's actually applying it to everyone, men and women, everyone who believe, okay? So when you hear, see sons there, he's not trying to, he's not excluding women. He's actually taking a cultural thing and applying it to, to all God's children, which is actually makes the argument stronger because we have, we have access to everything that is the father's, men and women do, okay? So it actually adds to Paul's argument to actually just use the, kind of the masculine there, just sons, because he's trying to make this, uh, give a picture of what our inheritance looks like. Okay, so last piece here. What does our part look like? What do we bring to the table? Okay, because still, okay, Paul, I get it. The Holy Spirit's doing these things. The Holy Spirit's just reminding me of my sonship uh, before God. But what role do we play in the process? How do we put to death the deeds of the body? What is our role in that? Okay, two verses I think really help us with this. Again, from Paul, different letters. Ephesians six seventeen is the first one. This is in the middle of a passage that is pretty familiar. It's the armor of God passage for those of you who, who've read your Bible a little bit. Um, verse 17, it says, and take the helmet of salvation. Okay, that's, we're not really worried about that part right now. Listen to this though. And the sword of the spirit, it's the Holy Spirit there. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So it's like the, the, the spirit has a sword, which is a tool for warfare. It's an it's a active it's, a, it's, it's an offensive weapon in, in the midst of war. And that weapon, that sword is the word. It's the word of God. It's the scriptures. Okay, so the, the spirit fights. The spirit's active. The spirit does his thing through the word of God. That's what Ephesians 6 is telling us, okay? So that's important to know, okay? Because we have the word. We have God's word in the scriptures. So we begin to say, what do we do here? One, I think we need to be people of the word. We need to spend time in the Bible. We need to learn what our heavenly fathers like through his word. 
And the second verse here is Galatians 3, 5. It says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, that's God supplying the Spirit, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And this is a rhetorical question in this context. It's that the answer is faith, okay, not works of the law. He does this by hearing with faith. So it seems like the word of God and faith are two things that are in play here that we need to be aware of. We have the word of God. It's inspired by God through his spirit. And we have faith. If we're followers of Jesus, Jesus, we have faith. Sorry, that was really weird. Usually I don't catch my, that's, that's strange. I'm sorry about that. But when we're followers of Jesus, um, we have faith. Okay, we have faith. We believe we're justified, but we also have this faith, which helps us live the Christian life. Okay, so this is where this faith comes into play. Okay, here, here's a couple of examples here. Okay, um, for those of you who uh, maybe struggle with, with approval, okay, struggle with really wanting people to like you. You really structure your life in such a way that you're always kind of thinking how are people viewing you, and maybe you're looking to acceptance and love in other people, and that causes you to do the things you do. And in, 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 in the world of counseling, they'll say that a lot of um, approval goes back to how we were raised, how, how our parents viewed us. Maybe we have issues with mom or dad, and that can p- present major approval issues in our adult lives. Okay, so take, that's the issue, okay? Now we're going to go through the exercise, because again, the Spirit works through the Word, and we have faith in what the Spirit, in what the Word says. So the verse we want to look at is Romans 8, 15. We've already looked at this verse today, so we can be familiar with it. Verse 15. Okay, so struggling with approval here. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That can even say fear of man, fear of people not liking you, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So if we just think about this truth, and this is where faith comes and we have to believe that this is true, but we do have faith. We already have it. That's the good news. So we're, we're, we're now children of the creator God. What is worth more of having the, the approval of the creator God of the universe or this human on earth? Now, that's, that's a hard thing. It's not just going to go away instantly. But the more we spend time in the scriptures and the more we meditate on the goodness and the, the, glory, the glories of God and what, what he sent his only begotten son to, to, to love us, like that's, that's approval big time from God the Father. And, and when we're fighting trying to not have approval and seek that in others, we remember that verse. We go back to that verse. We think about that verse. That's the sword of the Spirit. But we have to have some faith that that, that's even true. Do you have faith that you're a child of God? Do you have faith that you're approved in that way? That you're like a toddler, an infant, crying out, Abba, Father. You're that dependent upon God. Take another one. Let's take comfort. Maybe some of you are struggle with comfort. Maybe you struggle with laziness. Maybe you're always trying to figure out how to like get more like priorities straight and, 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 and doing more for, for God's kingdom and calling, God, realizing God's calling you to maybe do big things, okay? Let's look at Romans 8, 17. Again, we've already looked at this one today. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. An heir, that means you have access to everything that God has. Not completely in this life. That will completely happen 
in eternity after we die or Jesus returns. We have access to some of that now, but eventually in the future, you will have access to everything that is God's. That's what inheritance means. That's what an heir means. You're heir to the throne. We all are if you're followers of Jesus. Let, let, let your mind go there and meditate on what an heir of the throne of Jesus would look like. Take comfort. Like, those of you who want comfort, man, that will produce comfort, but that takes time. It takes, you know, daily work in the word to, to really feel and start to sense that. Last one, uh, people who, those of you who struggle with control, produces anxiety thinking about the future. You want to have everything together. You want to have, like, life planned out. You don't want any surprises. You find a lot of, a lot of value in kind of keeping things together. Here's, a, again, there could be verses all over the scripture for any of these, but for this one, I picked Matthew 6, 30 through 34. I'm going to read this, and this is, this is where he's talking about the sparrows. He has sparrows and flowers. He's saying, okay, God made the sparrows and gives us something to eat. God made the flowers and clothes them and, and clothes them, makes them beautiful, and we take pictures of them and stuff, okay, because they're beautiful, okay? And then he says this, but if God, God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown out into the oven, will he not much more clothe you or provide your basic necessities? Oh, you of little faith. There's that faith word again. He's calling us to have more faith in this promise. It's where faith comes in to putting death to death the deeds of the body. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or where sh- what shall we wear? The basic things of life that a lot of us get worked up about. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, so that's a way to take the verse here, but we have to have faith that that's true. Do you believe that God loves you and cares about you more than a bird or a flower? And how do, we, how do we, can we strengthen our faith in that? He sent his son Jesus to die for sinners. That is the grounding of our faith. Because if he did that, man, I can, I can get on board with this passage. I can have faith in this passage if I know Jesus did what he said he did. And in closing, there, there, I think there are two other things to remember with the word and meditating on this. I think we need community. We need each other. We need to be reminded. We, we need to have people around us that know our tendencies. If we're, if we're an anxious person, then we need to have people reminding us and texting us and reminding us of, of, of scripture passages, of truths of the gospel. Not just giving good advice on how to manage anxiety, but actually something that will actually help you kill anxiety or comfort or approval, okay? We need the community. This is why we encourage everyone to be in these transparent relationships and community, to do this work right here. And, and the second thing is, as we go off and, as our, and we're, we're living life as missionaries, these things like approval and comfort and control and anxiety, these are issues that plague humanity. These are inside the church and outside the church. And so as we're living our life, if we don't have good news to, to that has, we don't have answers to these questions through the good news. If we, don't, if we aren't living this out, how can we be good witnesses? How can we testify to the goodness and grace of God if we're not believing his promises ourselves? And that's the great thing. If we, if we start to understand and believe his promises and trust in these things, then it actually plays out in our everyday life because there's a lot of people that are struggling with anxiety. 
There's a lot of people that are looking to the approval of others to satisfy them. And we have the answer. We have the good news. And that is a relationship with God the Father, where we can say, Abba, Father, and trust in him and have freedom and joy in him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, um, once again, that every week when we get up here to, to preach, that we don't have to come up with something out of our own mind, that we have to be really creative and, and uh, creative people, and we have your word, and all we're called to do is, is uh, teach it and study it and learn it and know it. And um, we thank you that you've revealed yourself in your word, and your spirit is alive and active in your word, that this isn't just a book, but it's the sword of the spirit. It, there's, there's, there's activity here. There's power here. This book will change us. And so um, I pray that as we move into a communion time that we would reflect on who you are and what you've done on our behalf. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Jesus, before he would be arrested and be crucified, had last supper with his disciples and during that supper, he took bread and he says, this bread represents my body that would be broken for you. And he wanted them to see a physical, tangible thing that represented what he was about to do. So this is my body would be broken and beaten and bloodied for you. He took cup, this cup, and it said the, the, the contents of this cup represent my blood that would be shed for you for past, present, and future sins. So when you taste it, remember that. Remember what my blood has done for you. So here's what I want you to do. In the, in the time before you come forward or head to the back, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, I want you to just think about one question. One question. This is a, a question that I heard a pastor give. Um, it's been very helpful for me. For me. Pretend, pretend this. Pretend you wake up in the morning and all, the dream, all your dreams have been fulfilled. All your dreams have been answered. How does it change your life? Everything you've always dreamed of, if it comes true overnight, you wake up tomorrow, it's done. How does that change your life? And whatever you answer there, whatever you think, if it's, is it things that are in line with the spirit? Do you want, you want to see God more clearly? Do you want to be a more generous person with your possessions? Do you want to love your neighbor as yourself? Or do they tend to be things that gravitate more towards the flesh? Maybe material possessions or um, little inconveniences that come up in your life. I think that question will reveal a lot if we're walking by the Spirit or we're kind of walking in the flesh. I think that's a good place to just think. But when you come forward, when you go back, just deal with that before you come forward because know that whatever you answer there, good or bad, especially bad, Jesus has covered it. It's done. So when you come and take communion, no more guilt, no more shame. Okay? But take some time before you do that to think and reflect on what we've talked about in his word. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to, um, to have faith and trust in him today. Okay? Do, you, do you have a relationship with God the Father have you experienced forgiveness of your sins? Reconciliation with God the Father. Do you have that?
And if not, this is an invitation for you to come forward, to take communion for the first time. If you have faith and trust in who Jesus is and, and, and what he said he, and did the things he said he did. But if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you still need more time to think and you're processing and you don't know what you think about all this, just stay where you're seated. This is, this is reserved for, for Christians only. Um, but if that's you here, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to, to, to process doubts. Let's go get something to eat or go get coffee and talk. Because we want this to be a safe place where you can doubt and struggle and wrestle with the word of God. Because we think it's worth being wrestled with and struggled with, okay? So take a few minutes. Um, there's one station in the back, two stations in the forward, and come forward uh, whenever you're ready.